Welcome to episode 10 of the Invite Along podcast. Hello world, this is Juan. And this is Quentin. We're an international couple traveling around the world for love, work, and the pursuit of wonder. Through this podcast, we invite you to come along with us as we discover places near and far while treading lightly and not breaking the bank. This week is a bit of a special episode. Episode 10! Pew, 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 pew! Woo! First, we'll tell you about our stint in Cambodia, but we will also do a bit of a review now that we are about two months into our trip. We'll discuss stuff like what worked and what didn't, what we brought and what we shouldn't have, and things that we had to buy here. So all sorts of exciting reviews of what's in our pack and reviews of our trip so far to come. Stay tuned! But before any of this, we wanted to mention one last thing about Hoi An that we forgot to talk about last week, even though it was actually one of our favorite experiences. What I'm talking about is the work of a French photographer called Réan, who has been living in Vietnam for the past 12 years, and he has this really cool project that's called the Precious Heritage Project, where essentially he is trying to meet, actually he has succeeded, he has been meeting with members of each official ethnic group in Vietnam, and there are 54 of them. He's been photographing them, and he's been preserving their traditional outfits and some elements of their culture. He is mostly known throughout the world for a few of his portraits, particularly one known as the Hidden Smile, and specifically Madame Song's Hidden Smile, because he has a series of portraits known as Hidden Smiles. I invite you to look his stuff online, both his Precious Heritage Project and his portraits in general. He also has the Giving Back Project, I believe? Yes, so he really believes that people who benefit from his photography should include the subjects of the photos. So he actually gives part of his proceeds from sales of the photos and his books and such to people who were his subjects, including the smiling madam behind hidden smiles, the striking girl who has this like striking blue eyes. I think her entire education is covered by this money. So he really believes in empowering his subjects and giving them name and giving them revenue. In addition, he's very dedicated to preserving tribal heritage. So he actually helped one particular group of people, the Tsui Tu, to set up their own museum dedicated to preserving the cultural heritage of their tribe. So there are two places where you can see his work in Hoi An, including the main Precious Heritage Museum, as well as an auxiliary art gallery. We highly recommend that you visit both. They are beautifully curated and, best of all, they are free to see. And he's quite often actually visiting the museum and the art gallery. We were not able to meet him, but you might be luckier and you might actually bump into him. With that being said, it's time to leave Hoi An behind as we take a flight to Cambodia. It wasn't really in our plans originally, but we met many people through our travel that told us the detour to Angkor Wat was 100% worth it. So we got our visa for $25 each, and our flight to Siem Reap, which is the city right next to Angkor Wat and is the second biggest city in the country after the capital of Phnom Penh. This time we also booked the services of a local guide, through someone known as Mr. Vichy, who was recommended to us by a German girl that we met in Ninbin. I don't know if you're still keeping track. 
We were in Vietnam, we met a German girl who told us about this Mr. Vichy, who is a guide in Cambodia. He was himself unavailable, but we ended up being guided by his colleague Mr. Smith for about $50 per person, which sounds very pricey, but he actually guided us for a good 12 hours in total, so we thought it was completely fair. That's right, as a tangent. So, Mr. Vichay, we, of course, got a random WhatsApp number and a hope and a prayer, and he did respond, and it worked out. But he referred to our guide as his brother, so me, not knowing Cambodian heritage, thought that this was his actual brother until I got to Cambodia, and everyone started referring to me as sister, and then I remembered, oh, it's just a term of endearment that you use with people in Cambodia. So they weren't actually related, they were colleagues, but it's fine. Yeah, it's all part of the big brotherhood and sisterhood of man. All right. As for accommodations, Siem Reap is where we cashed out some of our higher rewards points for two nights at the incredibly amazing, gorgeous Park Hyatt Siem Reap. So each night cost 9,000 Hyatt points, which we transferred over from our Chase accounts. So these points used to be Chase Ultimate Rewards points, but to maximize their value, we actually transferred them out to our Hyatt accounts. So I will talk about points and miles redemption probably in its own special episode, but essentially we paid $0 to have one of the most incredible hotel experiences that I've personally had the pleasure to experience. We also spent one night at the Nature Resort after our two nights at the Park Hyatt, and this was also a beautiful stay, and it cost us a grand total of $4. The reason why it only costs $4 to stay is not because Cambodia is incredibly cheap, but because we were able to finally use our Airbnb voucher, which we received after two booking mishaps in Vietnam. So that was a $25 voucher. The total cost of the Airbnb was $29, so we paid the $4 in difference. Altogether, it was a fantastic and I would say a bit of a luxurious few days in Cambodia. And... Just also as a logistical point, Cambodia uses U.S. dollars and many things are quoted in U.S. dollars in addition to the Cambodian real. So we were so lucky to bring some with us from our yard sale before we left the U.S. We're like, you know what? Shout out to Kelly. Kelly Chang, just give us all the change. <laughs> um when you purchase items and you pay with U.S. dollars, you get your change back in Cambodian real because they don't have U.S. coins. And the real are very small value, at least from these change back. So we didn't actually use any Cambodian reals at all and just donated all of our leftovers at the airport before we left the country. So that's the time we spent in Cambodia. And what did we do for these two days, two days and a half? Well, our plan was, of course, to visit the main temples of Angkor Wat on Saturday, mostly. But we had a bit of an issue. And the issue is that I got tremendous food poisoning. On Friday, Juan was already feeling a bit under the weather, but it turned out to be mostly okay by the end of the day. In my case, I felt completely fine throughout the entire day, but at night, I went to bed, and an hour later, I was back up in the bathroom, just... I'm sorry for saying this, throwing up my guts out, and I stayed there for more than two hours. I was still there by like 3 a.m., 
and it was just one of the worst times ever to be sick. I would say on one hand, it's a shame that we were in such a beautiful hotel, such an amazing, luxurious experience, and I was sick. But on the other hand, if I have to be sick, I'd rather be sick in a very fancy bathroom with people ready to help rather than be sick in a small hostel in the middle of nowhere with zero amenities. Yes, that's right. Because I also woke up around 3 a.m. to the telltale sign of retching, which, (laughs) so sorry, so gross, but you know that sound. And I'm glad that you had your own privacy. You could jump in the shower. You can lay down. There was air conditioning. There were people changing out the trash cans, like... (laughs) Thank goodness for the wonderful and understanding people at the Park Hyatt. I think by the end of our stay, every single person at that hotel knew that you were really sick. And we actually had to get up at 5 a.m. to go see Sunrise over Anchor Wat. So by 3 a.m., this guy was still puking his guts out. So it was just, it was not a good time. Yeah, Yeah. and we tried to potentially postpone, but of course it was 3 a.m. and Even though our guide was supposed to get up early, he obviously did not see the message at 3 a.m. And because of that, we still had to go through with it. So I don't remember, I don't remember it too well because I was not in the best state. But Juan, why don't you tell us a bit about Anchor Wat? Yes, so I had frantically texted Mr. Smith, our guide, and told him about your dedicate situation and told him we're just going to have to take it easy. We got picked up by Mr. Smith at an ungodly hour right at the Park Hyatt. He took us to get tickets to enter the Angkor Wat Archaeological Park and he did recommend that you get them in person. There was a queue to get the tickets and we had just enough time to walk over to the Angkor Wat Temple a little bit before sunrise. So Angkor Wat is one of the temples within the Angkor Archaeological Park. So the kingdom, the Khmer people from many years ago had built this incredible city of temples. The best known ones are Angkor Wat and some of the other ones like the Tomb Raider Temple, things like that. So we wanted to specifically see sunrise over Angkor Wat. The day was a little bit cloudy, so we weren't able to see the most epic sunrise ever, where the sun was rising over one of the stupas of Angkor Wat. But still, the experience was breathtaking and nothing like I've ever seen because the scale of Angkor Wat was almost unhumanly. So we did catch the sunrise, Quentin was very green when he saw the sunrise, but I'm happy he actually saw it. And then we had a tour where Mr. Smith guided us around the temple. We went inside into many different levels. We learned about the history. We looked at the different carvings. We learned that it switched from a Hindu temple originally to a Buddhist one. So you could see how the religion changed over time and how things were repurposed from, you know, Shiva worship to actual Buddhist statues, and then finally how the empire fell, how it was sacked, etc. So that was really cool. There was a lot of intricate carvings all throughout Angkor Wat, nothing like you have ever seen before. So it was spectacular to see, including many, many hundreds and thousands of these celestial spirits, these women performing the Apsara dance. 
It was actually incredibly steep to get into Angkor Wat because the steepness of the steps going into each of the main stupas is so that people can show humility as you're going up. You have to go up on hands and knees. And even the kings had to do that, even though their steps are a little less steep, so they didn't have to crawl as much as everyone else. We were supposed to go visit many temples that day, but actually had to call it quits after seeing Angkor Wat because Quentin was just dying at the temple. And I knew as the sun was starting to shine very brightly and it was getting hot, that if we did not stop, it was not going to be a good time for any of us. So we actually called it quits on Saturday, maybe around 10 a.m., went back to the hotel and Quentin just rested and slept and I just relaxed at the pool and we made arrangements with Mr. Smith for a great day on Sunday to pick up where we left off and to have some bonus sessions. So I'll let Quentin cover that in a little bit. Actually, around yeah 5, 6 p.m., I was feeling much better and we felt okay to go to Far Circus, which is a circus we had already booked the night before and apparently was very popular in Siem Reap. And I'm so glad that we did, first of all, because it was so enchanting that, again, I was not focused on how I was feeling and I was able to enjoy it. And because circus shows are not really a thing anymore. I mean, like, it's not every day you actually see an actual circus with actual acrobats and jugglers and magicians and whatnot. It was very enjoyable. It was a traditional three-ring circus with people all around the stage. And the circus itself has this very positive impact on the community because it really emphasizes paying good salaries to its artists. It also is tied with a school that allows a lot of kids to learn about uh, circus arts and they receive scholarships. They also work as preserving some traditional crafts in Cambodia and a lot of their representations come with demonstrations of those traditional crafts. So altogether, I think the mission that the Fast Circus has brought forward is a very positive one. Their gift shop also has some amazing stuff. And again, the money goes towards the artists. It doesn't go into the pocket of some executive. All in all, we just felt really good going there. After the circus, we went for a quick stroll through CM Rip. It has a night market that was fairly quiet and really enjoyable to just walk around. CM Rip was actually very clean, very approachable as a city, I would say. Apparently during COVID, they put a lot of money into sanitation, into road renovation, and you can really see the results. Siem Reap is honestly a top-notch city to visit. And Sunday, I felt much better. I had slept for like 18 hours at this point. So we went back to Angkor with Mr. Smith, this time around 9am, and we picked up where we left it by visiting the outer walls of Angkor Thom, which is itself a city that was the former capital of Cambodia within the larger Angkor archaeological park. The uh, Angkor Thom, what is very interesting around it is the gates that you can go through to reach the inside of the city. And on each gate, you have these beautiful statues of 54, it's exactly 54, gods and demons on each side. They are essentially doing a tug of war on a naga, which is a serpent in Hindu mythology. And they're doing this because they are churning together the ocean of milk, which is some sort of primordial sea in Hindu mythology, because they're trying to obtain an elixir of immortality known as Amrita. And that's for the tiny 
mythological story. So within at the heart of Angkor Thom, there is a temple. Can you tell us a bit more about it? Yes. So within Angkor Thom is the temple called Bayon Temple. This is at the center of Angkor Thom, the city. And it is a very well-known temple because it is covered in the smiling faces that is a blend of the king at the time as well as the Buddha. So instead of stupas that are carved in relief, it's just this man's face repeated over and over and over and over again, smiling serenely. You can see him, his gaze is following you wherever you go in this temple. There were also some really exciting carvings at this temple that depicted the different battles that the Kumai Empire won, including a battle that showed the cooperation from Chinese people at the time who came and fought alongside the Kumai. And they were fighting, unfortunately, the Vietnamese kingdom at the time or the Champa people. You can also see very gruesome scenes, including people getting decapitated by alligators. That was my favorite. People hunting a maternity ward of the time, fishing, etc. So from these relief is where modern day historians gleaned a lot of information about ancient warfare as well as daily life of people during that time. And after Bayan Temple, which was amazing, we went for the third main temple, the infamous Tat Prom, also known as the Tomb Raider Temple, because this is where the first Tomb Raider movie was filmed, at least in part. And this one is mostly known for having these beautiful, gigantic trees growing through the temples. So it looks exactly what you picture maybe in your mind. If you're trying to picture an old abandoned temple with gigantic trees, that's this is the picture you have in your mind. This is the temple. Those trees have these massive roots that are just reaching all over the roofs, the gutters, the walls. They look like snakes, like reptiles, more than actual roots. It's very impressive. There's a couple times where we were walking around seeing one of the roots. We generally thought it was a snake. And it takes you like half a second to realize, oh no, this is a piece of wood. Uh, it was beautiful. It was raining quite heavily at the same time. We had umbrellas. And it kind of added to the charm of it, I would say. After lunch, Mr. Smith took us to go visit some of these floating villages by Tonle Sap Lake. And what makes this really special is Tonle Sap Lake is one of the largest freshwater lakes in Asia and the largest in Southeast Asia. This lake changes drastically from monsoon to post-monsoon, so the water table rises as much as 16 feet in some places. So these floating permanent structures are houses that are raised incredibly high up on stilts above the ground. And we're there at the beginning of wet season, so the lake is not very high yet, and you can really see the tremendously tall stilts that these houses are sitting on. And there are thousands of people living there, at least the village that we visited, and it was really cool to see them yeah, I concur. I had a great time. I'm really glad I do not live with them because I have, as I've mentioned before, fear heights. So that's about my nightmare place to live, but still incredible to look from the safe, safe ground. As you can tell, we still packed a fair amount in that short weekend. And now we can talk a bit about turbulence, the things that went wrong. And for my part, it is obviously the tremendous food poisoning. I am so glad I'm out of it because... 
for about 24 hours, I was dead to the world. How about you, Love? Oh, yeah. I'm going to have to say this is horrible enough of an experience that it is the turbulence of the weekend for both of us. And I didn't like knowing that you were so ill. Thankfully, our hotel was right next to the pharmacy and I made you swallow a cocktail that the pharmacist gave me. But yeah, it was not great seeing you so green and so sick. So sadly, no street food in Cambodia for us, but that's okay because Quentin was able to recover. Yeah, altogether, I feel like as bad as it was, it could still have been much, much worse. All right, what about flying high? What was our favorite part about our quick trip to Cambodia? Well, for me, it was actually seeing folks living in these fishing villages and I thought it was so cool as a gardener that once you are bitten by that garden bug, it doesn't matter where you live because these stilt houses all had cute little front yard gardens. They were like suspended gardens. It was just so fun to see that. And it was nice to see fishermen and women actually working instead of just having it being a tourist attraction. You can tell people's main professions are still fishing. What about you, Quentin? For me... uh I mean, apart from the fact that I finally felt like I was reborn on Sunday after the, the terrible day the, the day before. For me, one of my favorite, I think, was actually what you mentioned, the um, depictions of daily life at Bayon Temple. I really like the fact that the stonemasons that were, you know, toiling at this very important temple was like, hold on, I feel like we should tell people a bit about how we live. And they were like, okay, so what do we put in there? Hunting? Yeah. Fishing, yeah. Oh yeah, we should put some, like, a maternity ward so people know we have midwives and such. And like, oh, we should tell people that, like, Chinese people have moved here and they're selling umbrellas. There's an entire part of the the scrolling story that's just a Chinese trading umbrella vendor. And I just, I love the fact that they thought that it was, you know, a, a crucial part of their culture and that they really wanted to showcase that and they were really proud of it. I don't know, there's something very heartwarming about people seven, eight, or nine centuries ago taking the time to depict their daily lives for us to enjoy later. Oh, and before I forget, I want to talk about how kick-ass the city name is. We learned that Siem Reap literally translates to Siam Defeated, which means the defeat of the Thais, or what we know as modern-day Thailand. So the king was like, yeah, this place has a name, but it's not good enough. Let's just make it permanently a reminder that we are better than our neighbors, the CMEs or the Thai people. So what a ballsy name. Yeah, according to our guide, Mr. Smith, he really likes having Thai tourists and telling them that fact just to like, you know, assert dominance on them. (laughs) (laughs) And also, I've mentioned that before, and as a extra flying high, a small one is again, how clean and like easy to go through CM Rip was compared to some of the other cities we traveled to. That's not to say that, you know, I don't enjoy a bit of chaotic cities, but especially, again, I was not in my best element. I was vulnerable. I was weakened. So I appreciated that CM Rip was clean, pretty quiet, pretty sort of approachable. So at least I didn't have to deal with an illness all whilst, you know, dodging motorcycles in a very massive honking cacophony. So yeah, Siem Rip, really recommend. That's it from Cambodia. But maybe you're listening to this while doing your chores or dishes or driving or whatever. 
So how about a bit more invited along? So this is a little bit longer of an episode than our usual format, but please forgive us. I hope there's some juicy content coming up. Since we've been traveling for about two months, we thought it would be a good time to look back and assess what we learned. To start with the basics, let's talk about what's in our bag and our gear. Is there anything that we should have packed or is there anything that we should have left behind? Quentin, kick us off. Okay, yeah, I think for me, I was actually surprised at how much we got it right. I was afraid that a lot of our stuff in our bag was simply not going to serve us. Uh, not going to be useful, but I would say I definitely use about 90% of what I packed on a regular basis. Of course, some stuff only makes sense in certain situations, like the rain cover for our backpacks only makes sense when it's raining. I would say if I could change anything, uh, maybe I didn't need as many fancy shirts. I'd say I have three or four, uh, and I don't wear that much, but it's because we had, if you remember, we have two weddings throughout our trip. So I've used those fancy shirts somewhat in the first wedding, I'll use them in the second wedding, but maybe I could have done with maybe two instead of four. On the other hand, one thing that I did not bring and that I should have brought, maybe, are shoes for daily walking that are not my trail runners. I cannot help it, I do not like wearing this kind of like very big utility shoes when I'm just walking around the city. I want something that's a bit more easy to put on, especially... If we're going to temples and I have to remove them, my, my big trail runners, La Sportiva, they take like five minutes to put on because they're very, again, they're very heavy duty shoes, I would say. So I ended up buying uh, one pair of Espadrilles that only lasted me for about two weeks and now I've, pa- I've bought a second one and these ones are still going on strong. But to be fair, if I had bought a similar pair of shoes in the US, I don't think it would have been any cheaper. So I don't mind that I bought them here. And in terms of gear that uh, I should have packed, I just forgot my clippers that I normally use for my hair, uh, for my beard. So I've been using uh, Juan's. She has an epilator that also has a clipper mode, and I've just been using this. How about you, my love? As for me, I also agree that I am using the heck out of most of the things I have packed, so that's great. If I could revise my packing list, I think I should have purchased another collapsible water bottle, Quentin. We're traveling with a one liter collapsible bottle and have been buying these like giant bottles to refill, but I think it might be nicer to have one each for both of us. I should have brought maybe more Advil since I wiped out my entire stash after getting sick on Kosamoy, so I don't really have any pain medications left. I also have not yet gotten to some of the items that I have packed in my bag, but I anticipate that this will probably come in handy soon. So I brought a collapsible poofer jacket. Of course, I'm not going to use that in Southeast Asia, but we're going to Sydney in a few weeks and there will be winter there. So I might bust that out as well as long sleeve workout shirt. Again, have not used it yet, but probably will in Sydney and maybe for nights in Canada. I'm not sure. I would also probably purchase a pair of lighter weight darn tough socks. So I have two that I've been wearing almost every day, changing, washing, etc. But they are a little bit thick. So I would probably should go down one level and go for like a thin one instead of two thick pairs. Also looking back, I should have brought more comfy bralettes. 
So folks with boobs, the Southeast Asian boob sweat is real and it is incredibly damp and uncomfortable at times. So it is best not to wear tight bras, anything with an underwire, padding, thick bands, nothing like that because it just, you will be sweating so much and you'll get heat rashes and chafing is not a good thing. So I have one comfy bralette, but I really should have brought more because I really need to live in these things. And right now, it's just not a good happy boob situation. Now, on to lighter topics. Let's talk about the MVPs in our bag. What are the things that really, thank goodness, we brought them along? Quentin, kick us off. Okay, I would say first I would mention the the combo that we use to do our laundry. A sink stopper, which is just a piece of rubber that's fit, that's meant to fit on top of uh, any open sink that doesn't have its own stopper and a laundry line that Juan bought that specifically is meant for traveling it packs to very nothing and that works so well for our laundry I would say we have been using actual laundromats and whatnot a fair amount but when we have to do the laundry in a sink these two really come in handy I'm also really glad that I brought along one wet bag. We have been using it a lot on kayaking trips, snorkeling, anything that's water related. So that packs down totally flat and it barely takes up any space. And I'm very glad that I have it. I'm also glad that I packed a first aid kit that at least had a little bit of everything so that it can tie us over until we can find a pharmacy. It has some band-aids that came in handy this week for blisters, etc. So good stuff. Pack a first aid kit, y'all. Yeah, definitely agree. Another one that surprised me as an MVP was our day pack. We bought this day bag, so it's a small bag that can, you know, fold in on itself and would take like zero space, but we've been using it pretty much every day, so we never actually fold it. And we bought it off uh, Amazon without really knowing the brand or anything, and so far it's been holding on really strong. We can pack so much stuff in it, it has been very, very useful. I also want to give a shout out to our sarongs. We have those two towels that I believe we bought in Morocco years ago. And we call them the sarongs because we've been using them also to wrap ourselves around us because they're quite large. And we've been using them for so many things as blankets, as sarongs, like I mentioned, as emergency computer sleeves, etc, etc. And they do a great, great job. In terms of travel logistics and money, I am so glad that we brought some cash with us because I read somewhere online that it's better to have cash for some Southeast Asian countries in case you need to pay visa upon arrival, etc, etc. That has not been the case. But just Cambodia alone and having that peace of mind as well, always having some cash in US dollars that we can exchange has been fantastic. And we were actually able to help someone out in Cambodia who lost their ATM card and Venmoed us in US dollars and we gave him some cash to get him through. So that was, you know, it was just a good thing to have on hand in addition to actually having to pay in US dollars in Cambodia. Speaking of money, I'm also really happy that we got our Charles Schwab account before we left, which reimburses ATM fees. So this way we don't have to withdraw an unsafe amount of money and having that 
wad of money as we walk around the country, and instead we can just withdraw whatever we need, and at the end of the month, it'll get reimbursed. So we had like something like sixty to eighty dollars worth of ATM fees reimbursed at the end of every month so far. So that's been amazing. And I'm happy that I opened a joint account with Quinton because I actually lost my debit card. Like the second week we were in Thailand, I just left it in the machine in Koh Samui, and thankfully Quinton had his debit card, and we're still able to withdraw money. So that's a huge relief. Yeah, and Juan's defense is because some ATMs ask you like a weird question at the end of the transaction. It's like, "Do you want to receive?" And you're like, "No," and you think it's over, and they're giving you your money, but then they ask you. There's another prompt. And if you miss that one, which I've never seen on any other ATM in any other country, if you miss that one, the card just stays in. <laughs> so that's what happened. The last one in terms of money, there's also the Barclay Arrival Mastercard that we have. Turns out that in Southeast Asia, Mastercard is more widely accepted than Visas. So we're very grateful for having this Mastercard because it has been it has worked everywhere we used it, which has not been the case with our Visa cards. And some items for me. I am really happy that I packed a pair of Luna sandals. These are just black strappy sandals that are hiking sandals and actually trail running sandals, but can pass as regular day wear sandals. They've done so much for me as I'm in the ocean and I didn't want to, you know, cut my foot or something like that.、Um, Good for water activities, but also good for daily walking around town when I don't want to wear my thick socks with my ultra trail running shoes. In addition, for ladies who care about personal hygiene, wow, wow, wow! MVP period cup. I'm just gonna leave it there. It's awesome. Get it? You won't regret it. Okay, and that wraps up. I think the material aspects of things. So beyond the mere material question, what is something that has surprised you so far? For me, I just got it in my head that I should read about the places that I'm going to, specifically fiction or biographies, as I'm traveling to these places to just learn a bit more about culture, as well as seeing the settings of the books in action as we go along. So I've learned so much as we've traveled, and one of the learnings is how much I don't know about Asian language, culture, religion, customs, etc. So having the combination of the book and actually visiting places has been invaluable. Huge shout out to the public library, which has awesome digital collections. So I've been using a lot of audiobooks as well as Kindles. So yeah, wrap it up. What has surprised me so far has just been the constant learning of new things. Now that Han has told me about these books, I have、uh, requested them. I've put a hold on them, and as soon as they become available through the library system, I will be reading them as well. Maybe a bit after we visit the countries, but they're still very enjoyable. As per popular request on Instagram, we will do a separate episode deep dive into the different books that we have read per location. Yeah, I would say that for me, I've actually been reading stuff that、uh, I've meant to read, like the stuff that I had on my to read list and I hadn't gotten around to it when I was working. And it's not necessarily tied to the country. A couple of them are very relevant, like Siddhartha, but others are not particularly tied to the country you're visiting or the culture. 
but you can still find some things that resonate. For example, I've been reading The Name of the Rose, which I've read a long time ago in French and I really wanted to reread it to have it French in my mind. And The Name of the Rose is all about Catholic monks during the medieval period. And of course, it's not the same as Buddhist monks, but you do find some parallels in there. It's very interesting. But for me, the thing that really has surprised me so far is how much moving around can be tiring. I found that if we are staying for a whole week uh, at the same hotel, then I have no problem with walking 15 kilometers a day and, you know, leaving at 9 a.m., coming back at 11 p.m., having walked all day, I feel just fine. I'm tired, but I'm okay. Like, you know, it's a, it's a good, it's a good fatigue. However, if I need to take, if we need to take a bus or train two days in a row and we need to change hotels like two or three nights in a row, it leaves me exhausted and I don't exactly know what it is about it, but there's this aspect of just being constantly on the move that really, really mentally tires me out. And I did not know it was a thing about me and now I do. On a personal level, Quentin, have you learned anything about yourself that you would like to share? Yeah, I would say so. I think for me, uh, I've been really trying to observe myself as I'm traveling and see like if I learn anything about who I am as a person I guess and I think I'm pretty chill in general and if something doesn't really pan out the way we want it to I'm okay with that if plans need to change I'm okay with that too I'm relatively good with the flow most of the time I would say that's a fair assessment but sometimes there's like a small thing that's going inconvenience me and very often it's like some silly thing about public transport, about like a thing that doesn't work the way it's supposed to or the way I expect it to. And if that happens, if there's this little annoyance, I found that it can kind of snowball and I can get really grumpy really fast. And I don't want to do that. Uh, it happens particularly if we are in between places, if we're traveling from point A to point B. Now, I've been taking that into account. I'm trying to let the bad vibes just flow out of me, but it still takes me some time to go back to the nice ground level. Another thing that I've found, I think as we're traveling, uh, speaking again about like personal uh, knowledge, is I found that we both, on a day-to-day -day life when we're back in Champagne or before that in London, we both communicate with a lot of assumptions behind our communications. They're usually assumptions about what we do, what we think, where we are, that kind of things. And because we are in a unfamiliar setting, all of those assumptions go out right at the window. And very often, I find myself say something because I think something in the back of my mind that to me is obvious, and it's not obvious for Juan at all, which makes sense because we're in a new place. And maybe I saw one thing and she saw another thing because we're discovering our environment. And I'm mentioning something about the thing I've seen and she doesn't know what the hell I'm talking about and vice versa. It's happened even today that we had a conversation and Juan mentioned three different things about three different uh, buildings that she was seeing and I had no idea what she was talking about for a second there. So we've been learning to do that and like catch ourselves when we do this and I think we've gotten better at studying things very clearly. Piggyback off of that, I definitely think that we are on the same trip, but different journeys. This is a mantra I've said many times throughout our trip, which is, yes, physically, we are mostly going to the same places, but 
we are navigating it in a different way in our minds and in our personal growth. So it's great that we can still be together as a couple, but have these different experiences from the same trip. For example, I am an Asian traveling throughout Asia. So part of my experience is being an Asian in Asia, which is actually amazing. Apparently, I have one of these like pan-Asian faces. Every country that I've gone so far, people have pointed to me and be like, hmm, you've got, you know, the Thai face or the Malay face. Are you sure you're not Malay? Um, I'm not, but people assume that I'm from here. And that gives me a sense of almost invisibility as I'm walking around that I never really felt back in the States. And I kind of like it. I also learned that I am a much more cautious traveler now that I am a little bit older. Not that I'm super old, but compared to my backpacking days in my late teens or early 20s, where I was maybe a little bit more reckless or trying more things more freely and saying yes more back then. Maybe I need to channel a little bit more of my younger self, but I definitely feel this cautiousness in this version of me that is on the road now. For example, I was a little reluctant to get on a motorbike, whereas, you know, many years ago in Italy, I definitely got on backs of motorbikes, like, driven by strangers. So, different different version of me. Not sure if it's good or bad. I also am very surprised to learn that Knowing Chinese is coming in really handy, especially since we left Thailand, because the Chinese culture is quite pervasive throughout Vietnam, Singapore, and Malaysia, not so much Cambodia. And you can see this in history, you can see this in some of the written texts that's throughout these historical sites. And I'm seeing a lot of surprising memories that are surfacing from my own childhood in China that were part of my past daily life, and now seeing them again, and then immediately I recall that memory from my childhood. So this is, for example, hearing the rattle of these Buddhist fortune sticks out of a bamboo jar. I knew immediately what that sound was, although I probably haven't been to a Buddhist temple in China that often. I still know what is the cultural significance of that, or the smell of incense, or on a lighter note, how to use a squatty potty, but also how not to be shocked as squatty potties with no divisions to your neighbors and no doors, like immediately transported back to Beijing circa 1999. I remember doing that in Beijing. I'm not from Beijing, but I remember going to visit and having that public bathroom experience. So, yep, I was not too shocked in Vietnam when that happened. Fun fact, I have actually used a squatty potty before coming to Asia because in some old French buildings, they still have them. And I went to visit a friend who lived in a very old student dorm and they still had those. And it was like after a night of drinking and all that. And so I was not in the best state, half asleep. It was like 3 a.m. again. I was still kind of drunk and I had to learn very fast how to use one. And, you know, uh, emergency is the mother of ingenuity. And I've <laughs> found my way. So now, at least in Southeast Asia, I can say, you know, I see them and not too afraid. The only problem is that my knees and thighs are not as good as they once were. <laughs> All right. All the potty talk aside, I think this is plenty of food for thought as a recap of our experience so far. So we're going to wrap it up here. 
Thank you again so much to everyone listening. And next week, you are invited to join us as we make our way to the dazzling city-state of Singapore. In the meantime, you know what I'm going to say. We would love it if you would follow us on Instagram at Invited Along Podcast. You can also contact us by email at invitealong at gmail.com. So long for now. Bye-bye.